Glad I'm here. Glad to be with you. And if you have a Bible, would you open to the book of Romans? We are in Romans chapter 2 now. We have been uh, plugging through the book of Romans for uh, a few weeks, and it's a series entitled For the Love of God. This idea of studying the scriptures that we might know, understand, receive, enjoy, give away the love of God for His people. And so, as we mine the inexhaustible depths of God's love for us in Christ, we find ourselves now in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, and we'll be in verses 1 through 11. Um, While you're turning or clicking there, I just wanted to uh, thank God again publicly for uh, the fact that we were able to vote in two new pastors uh, last week, uh, overwhelmingly so, and so thankful to God that Ron Jorlock and Josh Gallagher are pastors here at Treasure in Christ Church, along with uh, Pastor Travis and Hunter and Sean. So um, it's great to uh, just be able to be a team together, and I'm so thankful to God that we're able to walk forward in uh, unity there. Also, um, I'm not going to be able to mention names for security reasons, but we have some friends that have been sent out from TCC to... uh, I'll just be general, Asia, and um, they are visiting with us, so if that's not uh, vague enough, they are with us, they're right there in the middle, no cameras are on them, so we just love them a lot, and so I felt remiss that if I didn't say something, I would like spontaneously combust, so I am thankful to God for them, love them so much, and it just excites my heart to see them in person. But uh, we are about reaching those that have never heard the good news of Jesus. And that is one of the reasons why we unify. We unify around the gospel because there are billions of people who have never heard of the name or the good news of Jesus Christ. And what a privilege it is to be a church that sins and a church as sensitive, that we all have our yes on the table, and we want to give, we want to go short term, some of us may be called to go long term. So thanks be to God for them and who they represent, those that we are able to send out and our common mission for the glory of Christ. So um, I want to read chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, then I'll pray, and we'll dive right in. We'll dive right into this sermon entitled, Don't Judge but seek the judge. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 says this. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. Do you suppose, O man, that you who judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your heart and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself On the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But there'll be glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. Because God shows no partiality. Let's pray. Father, take your word, I ask. Hide it deep in our hearts. That we might not sin against you. Father, what I need... What these precious people made in your image need is to be reminded that if you are for us, who can be against us? And the way that sinners get them the mystery of mysteries, the miracle of miracles, 
the forness of Jesus on our behalf is simply by trusting. We are incapable of saving ourselves and we are desperately in need of you to redeem us and to make us new. So Father, I just ask that today we would see you in beautiful ways that our hearts would be overwhelmed by your majesty and glory. That we would hate what you hate and love what you love. And most importantly, we would seek you. Seek your face. Even when we don't feel like it, God, I ask that we would sit and be still and we would be recipients. We'd be listeners. So even now, I ask that you would carve away, chisel away at the arrogance and pride in all of our hearts and that you'd make us humble. It's like our hands would be open and we just say, not our will, but yours be done. Would you just come, come and change us from the inside out and make us those who love as you have loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. No excuses. No excuses. My uh, youngest son was playing basketball in a tournament this weekend, and as they were playing basketball, the first game, they did what's called laid an egg, okay? That means they played horribly, and they got beat, okay? So what happened is with the coach, as he was speaking, I'm not the coach, I was just a supportive dad who was obnoxiously loud in the stands, but the coach was saying, there's no excuses, you didn't show up. You were, I don't know what it was, like if you just like feasted all night long on candy and sweets or if you stayed up all night, it doesn't matter. You did not show up. You did not have energy. You did not give it your all. They just, he just laid it out there. And you know, you could see inside, well, that wasn't me. I, I kind of, I went to bed okay. Or, you know, whatever. The team laid an egg. They lost. But here's what happened. If they would have made excuses, what happens with excuses is it's just kind of an option for us to kind of get out of the fact that reality is here. We, we, we didn't do what we were supposed to do. They didn't choose that path, and they worked hard, they worked together as a team, and they won the championship yesterday, which was really cool. So we were excited to celebrate that and to uh, shout loud for all of their hard work. But we do make excuses at times, don't we? We do make excuses, and many times excuses are for social reasons. It's called shame. Like, we don't like the fact that we've blown it, and so we make some type of excuse so that others don't see that we've blown it. We make excuses. It's, it's not that bad. And our whole hope is that somehow either people won't think badly of us, or the reality, the consequence that we actually deserve might not come. But that's not how it works. It's not how it works. We try to prevent others or even ourselves from condemning ourselves. You know, you look on somebody else's paper when you take a test. Everybody knows whether you were copying an answer or whatnot, if you're staring at your neighbor's paper, that's against the rules. <laughs> You earned yourself a zero at that point. Excuse to get out of something. And this passage begins right here. Therefore, you have no excuse. You have no excuse. You've been caught. You're guilty. Now this time it's not of cheating on an exam. But you're guilty of judging someone. You're guilty of judging someone. Isn't that what he says? Therefore you have no excuse, O oh man. Everyone who judges, you have no excuse. Because in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. So today, we're going to be looking at three things. Our poisoned judgment, God's impartial judgment, and God's great grace to us in Jesus. Our poison judgment begins right here. Therefore, you have no excuse. Every one of you who judges. 
what is Paul referring to here? Well, we've got to get the on-ramp of what's going on. Therefore means you look backwards to figure out what's led us to this spot. And if you remember, he started in verse 18 saying, We are justly under the wrath of God. There is, this is actually the only other place this word excuse is used. It's in Romans chapter 1 earlier. When he says there's no excuse... Because it's all been revealed to you. God's divine power. His divine nature and His eternal power. They've been revealed to you so there's no excuse. You look at creation and it communicates something to you that there is a God and He is powerful. There's no excuse. No matter how many you make, there's no excuse. And you and I have suppressed that truth. All humanity has. And we are justly deserving the righteous the just wrath of God. And then he goes on to say, another summary of that is that we have a worship disorder. We're always worshiping something. And we have a worship disorder. We have chosen to worship the creation rather than the creator. We have placed the weight of worship upon our spouses, upon our kids, upon our jobs, upon our bank accounts, upon our houses or our cars, that they might satisfy us. They cannot bear it and they break. And it crushes us. And we try to crush others because we put all those expectations on people. Divine expectations that they can never hold. It's a worship disorder. We've worshipped the creation rather than the creator and therefore we are justly deserving the wrath of God. And here's what he says. Humanity. Because all humanity is guilty of this, God had what was called restraining grace. Had a leash upon us, holding us back, and we were running with all of our might towards our own way, towards sin, towards loving the creation over the Creator. God is holding and He's holding. He says, turn. Turn to me. Love me. And He just says, okay, if you're going to keep running, I will give you over. I'll let you go. To where you're running. And as he gives us over to our lusts. What you read in Romans chapter 1. He gives us a list. Pastor Ron Jure. It's fun to say that. Pastor Ron Jure preached for us last week. And he categorized this list of things into four categories. Destroying restraints. Destroying relationships, destroying reputations, and destroying remorse. When God let us go our, to our own lusts, we began to destroy everything. The fabric of society, the fabric of our soul began to destroy everything. And here's how Romans 1 talks about it. We all destroy restraints. We twist God's plan for sexuality, which is... His plan is one man, one woman, for life, in the context of marriage where there is super consensuality. My life is wholly yours and we are wholly God's. That's God's plan. Anything outside of that, heterosexual, adultery, homosexual practice, all of those things are outside of God's bounds. And they are the result of God letting go of that restraining grace and us running into all the things that we want to run in. We destroy restraints. I'll just keep going through the list. The list is there in Romans 1. We destroy restraints through unrighteousness and evil and covetousness. We destroy relationships through jealousy or envy, through murder, through strife, deceit, and maliciousness. We destroy reputations by gossiping, slandering, We destroy the reputation of God by hating God, by being proud, by putting people in their place with our speech. The word is insolent in the text. By our pride, our boasting, by even disobeying parents, we destroy reputations. And then we destroy remorse. We invent evil. We are foolish. We are faithless. We are heartless. We are ruthless. This is us, me, you. This is humanity. Nobody escapes this. This is who we are and justly deserving the wrath of God. This is what leads us to Romans chapter 2. Therefore, how in the world are you judging somebody else? How in the world? 
He says, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. You stand under the righteous judgment of God. And yet you and your arrogance find yourself judging others? There's no excuse. Why? He says, because in passing judgment on another, you see that there in verse two, 1 at the end? There's no excuse. Every one of you who judges, there's no partiality there. <laughs> Every one of you who judges. There's no excuse because in passing judgment on another, you, the literal is you judge against yourself. You condemn yourself. By judging someone else, you actually are judging against yourself. I don't know if you've ever heard this old adage about bitterness. When somebody is bitter towards somebody else, hardness of heart towards somebody else, the old adage goes like this, bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting it to kill someone else. That's not how it rolls. The bitter heart erodes your heart. And this is what he's saying. You judge, thinking you are elevating yourself as you put down another. But rather than really putting them down, you are actually judging yourself. And you stand condemned. You stand condemned. Because judgment is looking down on. It's elevating self. It is leaning on self-righteousness. Expecting it to give you an elevated position. Now, you might be thinking, is all judgment bad? Really? We aren't talking about judgment that evaluates patiently and humbly, forms opinions. He's not talking about our judgment that says, I judge that God is right and I agree with Him. That's some form of judgment. He's not talking about that. He is clearly talking about poisoned judgment. Poisoned judgment. A judgment that comes against others with negative opinions, looking down, elevating self above, and condemning someone spiritually even. Which is where I think He is here. Here in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, in passing judgment, you actually stand in judgment against yourself because you practice the very same things that you're judging somebody else for. And this, if you've read your Bible much, there's another famous judgment passage that says, don't judge. Your mind might immediately have already gone there. It's Matthew chapter 7. But I do want to go there again. I've, I preached on it just recently, but I felt like we needed to look at it because... Jesus is basically, you can tell where Paul got his, his uh, theology. He's, he's listening to his Savior. And so Matthew chapter 7 says this. Jesus calls this judging others, when you do the same thing, he calls it hypocrisy. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Man, if we only had that mentality, we would slow down in our judgments. But he begins to diagnose it. Why do you and I see the speck that is in somebody else's eye, but not notice the log that's in our own? Or how can you say to your brother or sister, let me take this speck out of your eye when you got this massive thing in your own eye? Like, how do you see, even see? How do you even see around the big thing? Like, it's just like right here. How, how do you see? That's his point. You're not going to be very good at it. I wouldn't want a surgeon working on my body with blackout glasses. Like, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want that to happen where he has to do it with somebody standing right in front of him and he's just kind of guessing or she's just kind of guessing on where they're going to probe into my body. That's not how you want this to work and that's not how you want the soul to work. And so he says this, verse 5, you hypocrite. 
Not my words, his. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will be able to clearly see to take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. This means the type of judgment that Paul is condemning here is this superiority mindset. I am better than you. And the only way to deal with this sense of smugness, I'm better than you, is to be more concerned about what's going on in here than what's going on in your neighbor. Whether it be your spouse, whether it be your kids, whether it be somebody in the church, whether it be a physical neighbor, somebody who's around the corner from you, whether it be a coworker, that you are more concerned about what's going on in here. And Jesus says you are so much more concerned that you are convinced, not living in la-la land, but you are more convinced genuinely that you are the worst sinner. Because you know your heart, you do not know other people's. I'm the worst sinner. And the more that you genuinely sit before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with an open heart, the more you get that perspective. I've got the log that I must give to Jesus. And it's that slow soul work that allows you then to have a perspective that allows you to look into others' lives. But not until then. Here's the way this sense of judgment looks that Paul is condemning. It's a self-righteousness. Test ourselves. Are we more critical than thankful? Are we more looking for faults than we are for grace? Are we more aware of deficiency than we are of growth? Are we more known for pointing out broken than working towards wholeness? Do we point out lack rather than pointing out effort and attempts? The self-righteous heart. Jesus says it must be hated. Paul says we must repent of it. You might say, isn't judging right and good? Judgment in the Bible is a very interesting thing. When you study judgment in the Scriptures, there's very few passages actually that commend us to judge. But they are there. One might be Proverbs 31.9, Open your mouth and judge righteously. 1 Corinthians 6.2, when there was tension in the church, he says, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to deal with trivial cases? We should be judging in some sense. But what I found shocking as I studied judgment throughout the scriptures this past week and have thought about it before is that The commands in scriptures about judgment are overwhelmingly do not judge. Like 90-10 overwhelmingly. Do not judge. Why? Because you can't trust yourself. But there is one you can trust. You can trust God. You can't trust yourself. Paul Tripp says, your perception of yourself is like a carnival mirror. Have you ever looked at those mirrors, those things? They do some massive distortion. You might be skinny, they might make you fat. You might be tall, they might make you short. This is our perception of ourselves. And I think the overwhelming sense in the Scripture of do not judge is because we are too sure of ourselves. And suddenly, if we're honest, we're not as confident that God will judge rightly. So we have to step in. We have to step in. We appoint ourselves as the spokespeople for correction. And it usually is a self-appointment. Not many people have asked you to do it. We appoint ourselves as the self-correctors. 
not having done the Matthew 7 type of heart work. Because when you do the Matthew 7 type of heart work, what happens is you begin to trust yourself less and you begin to trust God the judge more. And that's why he goes in verse 2. He says, We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. That God's judgment is, it says it rightly falls, it literally is according to truth. Like, God has righteous judgment. He will judge according to truth. He will do that. And that righteous judgment will rightly fall. I I like the image. It's almost like this guillotine. You've seen those things that they're they're suspended up there, the neck is down here, and it's like, His righteous judgment will fall inappropriate measure of wrath and fury, which we will talk about here in a second, it will fall upon all those who will not repent and trust in Christ. That's going to happen. But we must trust God's righteous judgment. And so he goes on in verse 3. He says, Do you suppose, O man, You who judge those who practice such things, and yet you do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And I could just hear myself being tempted to say, how do I do these things? I'm not practicing these things. That was the point of Romans chapter 1. Do you see what he's doing? You're guilty of practicing these things. What he does is he takes these 20 plus things that I read out to us at the beginning. And he basically says, we are all guilty, and the thousands of things, almost like a spider web that extends out, the thousands of things that those 20 plus categories represent, we're guilty. And so, when I say, (laughs) how do I do those things? I don't practice those things. Usually that's because of two things. I minimize my faults, and I live in comparison. I don't do those things means I don't do them as badly as you do them. (laughs) And if I don't do them as badly as you do them, then I have the right to judge. That's not the argument of Romans 1. The argument of Romans 1 is you're guilty. You're guilty. And so he is saying, Romans 1 tells us this, we are all equal, equally sinners falling short of the glory of God. We are all equal justly earning the righteous wrath of God. We are all equal. We have all rendered ourselves unable to save ourselves and without hope except the saving work of Jesus. We're equal. And therefore, he says in verse 3, do you suppose that you who judge those who do such things and yet do them themselves that you're going to escape the judgment of God? The answer is no. Friends, our judgment is poisoned. We've become sick. And until we look away from our self-righteousness to the righteousness of another, love will be eroded in our heart and we will not get what we're longing for. We're hoping that we don't walk in shame. We're hoping that we feel justified. We're hoping that we somehow get elevated. But our judgment is a sickness. And what he's saying is when you go around judging, it's literally like you've got COVID, you're going around and you don't acknowledge you're sick and you just start coughing in everybody's face. That's our judgment. Our judgment is the cough. When we act like we're not sick, we go around, we're just going to cough in everybody's face. It's called judging. And that hurts us and others. Why would people judge? Why would I judge? Why would you judge? Two main reasons. Arrogance and insecurity. We find ourselves in this situation because we are arrogant and insecure. One, the other, both. I've worn both, sadly enough. Not commending it, just acknowledging it. Arrogance is, I think I am better than them. I don't think I have the problems they do. I would never do that. Compared to me, they are lesser. And so, we yell, 
We talk down to, we put them in their place, we judge. Insecurity. Insecurity is, exposes what's really going on in our hearts. So arrogance is, we're the best of the best, but like all humans, you can go from feeling like you're the best of the best and then the scum of the earth in like a matter of seconds. Insecurity. We judge to protect ourselves in insecure hearts. If I am better than them, then I feel better about me. I can show them that they have flaws so they won't focus on my flaws. That's the insecure narrative. If I can redirect to their issues, then my issues stay hidden. The insecure judge to avoid the voice of internal or external condemnation. So we judge. Dear friends, I can't get to verse 4 fast enough. Because as I've been reading this, if you have a pulse at all, we've all been wounded. The text has wounded us. And look at verse 4. To the arrogant, he says, you are presuming on the grace of God. You think that because God's judgment has not come upon you right now, that that means you have the right to judge? God's judgment not coming on you right now is meant to lead you to repentance. Because God has set it up that if you repent and turn to Him, actual refreshment comes. I couldn't get to verse 4 fast enough because look at what he describes. He says that the kindness and forbearance and patience is compared to riches. The riches of God's kindness and patience and forbearance. His love that cannot be calculated. It is wider than you think and deeper than you think and higher than you think. It can satisfy more than you think. He's saying, you need this. And so in our insecurity, what we need to hear is the Lord is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger. Anybody know the last few words? Abounding. Say it with me. Abounding in steadfast love. Abounding. It's rich love. It's full love. It's forever love. I want that. The answer to insecurity is not to shame someone else, but to take your own shame to the cross. The answer to our arrogance is not to keep gripping harder and trying to prove to ourselves that we are somebody. It is to believe what Christ has said about us on Calvary, which is, you are so valuable, I will die for you. His love for you has been communicated so clearly on the cross because the perfect Son of God died in your place and took the judgment that your sin justly deserves. That's love. The reason we judge is because we aren't convinced of the goodness and kindness and richness and all-satisfying nature of the love of God for us. He loves us. If you just turn from your sin, it won't get better by saying you're not arrogant and you're arrogant. It won't get better by saying I'm not insecure and you are deeply insecure. It's by acknowledging those things, confessing those things, outlouding those things to Jesus. And when you do that, He doesn't stiff arm you. The Gospel is He came near to the unlovely. So when you take your shame and your guilt and your arrogance and your nastiness to Him, He embraces you. He doesn't say, get your act together, then come. The Gospel comes to us that our Savior is rich in kindness and patience and forbearance. He's rich in love. But for any who will not repent, the Scriptures go on. 
But because of, verse 5, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And so he says, so if you want to be known by judgment, that's what you're choosing. If you want to be known by judgment, verse 6, God will render to each one according to His works. If you want to be known by your own righteousness, by your own right things, like, I'm right, I can do this myself. If you want to be known by that, then you will stand before God, not on the righteousness of somebody else, but on your own. You'll stand there with your deeds as the only thing that could justify you before Jesus. We won't make it. If we stand on our own righteousness, we won't make it. God's standard is perfection. It's not you being better than a neighbor. We won't make it. Before we go to what it means for God to judge us according to our works, there's a passage in Galatians chapter 6, which I believe is like a marriage partner to Romans chapter 2. It's a beautiful compliment. I think it would help us in understanding this whole first idea of how we cannot be poisoned in our judgment. How we can walk and reflect our trust in the Savior. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 6 with me. It's a window into how to healthily deal with those who have sinned. Because I know, I know what's going on and in our hearts. We just, but, but what about sin? There's sin that happens in our own hearts. There's sin that happens in our church. And what do we do with that? Well, Galatians 6 helps us. And it says this, brothers, sisters, it's, it's a familiar t- familial term. The church is a family. If anyone is caught in any transgression. Okay, so you're living life among each other and sin comes to light. And it will. Because, footnote, we're all sinners. If that's the case, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, That does not mean like you who are, you know, varsity Christians, you who are just like super Christian, then you can step in here. The idea of spiritual is what he has talked about in Galatians 5, which is there are works of the flesh and works of the spirit. So if you're walking in the spirit, which every Christian is meant to do, if you're walking in the spirit, then your aim is to come alongside the one caught in a transgression. This is why the picture could not be in greater contrast to the judgment that Romans 2 is forbidding. Because look what he says. He says, in a spirit of gentleness, the aim is to restore. Judgment just pronounces and leaves somebody to rest in their mess. It just like drops a bomb and then walks away. That's judgment. This right here says the aim of walking in the Spirit is to restore someone in a spirit of gentleness. And then they say, when you get in and around sin, you better be careful. Because it can start affecting you. Either the sin that they do can become a temptation to you, be very careful, or you can start becoming guilty of self-righteousness. Where you start looking down on somebody because they're in a sin that you're not. Look at the verse. The verse, verse 2, Galatians 6. Bear one another's burdens. It literally means carry one another's burdens. I can't think of a greater gospel image. Think about it. Someone's caught in a sin. It's not, do better, and you get over here. It is, Let's walk through this together. It's coming alongside. It's carrying the burden together. 
bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That means the carrying one another's burdens, the sin struggles, is what love is. Judgment is an antithesis to love. Love is how you fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3, if anyone thinks he is something, (laughs) that's where you get self-righteousness. Okay, somebody's caught in a sin, come alongside them, help carry it, but be careful that you don't do that sin, but also that you don't start thinking so highly of yourself. That's all happened to us all, if you've been in and around this at all. And so he says, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That's what Romans 2 is saying. How in the world do you pass judgment on someone when you're doing the very things you're judging? Why is our judgment so poisoned? Verse 4, but let each one, now here's the deal. This brings us to the judgment moment. If you want to be really confident in you, you will stand alone on the day of judgment. It says, but let each one of you test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. (laughs) Test your works. Don't worry about your neighbor. Just take your works and hold them up. Hold them up. Is that going to be enough to meet God's righteous standard? Verse 5. For each one will have to bear his own load. On the last day, if you want to stand on your own righteousness, that's where you'll stand. Bearing that load before Jesus. Okay, now, we need a few summary lessons so that we can go down the home stretch. Summary judgment is poisoned by self righteousness. Okay? Hypocrisy hurts you and erodes love. When you Do the very things you're judging against. It hurts you and it erodes love. The goal is restoration. Restoration is bearing with in gentleness, not judgment. So anything else, non-gentleness, non-restoration, not coming alongside, what you begin to do is you begin to smell. That's foul. That stinks. Because it's filled with self-righteousness. And then finally, self-righteous judgment leads you to be judged by yourself's righteousness. If you stand on your own works, then you do not have the works of Jesus to come in your place. You will stand alone. So he says, verse 6, if you want judgment, To be what characterizes your relationship with God based upon your works. He will render to each one according to his works. He will do that. And so he says, let's keep going. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, do you see the play on words there? There's those who seek and those who self-seek. One seeks after God, the other one is self-seeking, not obeying the truth, obeying unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So, we shift from our poison judgment to God's impartial judgment. And if we just look at verse 8, he says, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth and obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first, and also the Greek. Why did he bring in racial categories here? He did it because the aroma of the Jewish world was, we have the law, we are God's chosen people, therefore we're better. And we will look down upon those who are not acting as holy as we are. And therefore, we're going to get a pass on the last day. But what Romans, the book of Romans will teach us in Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 9, is that 
the children of Abraham are not by ethnicity, but by faith. All the promises made to Abraham are ours by faith, not by ethnicity. And that's why he emphasizes at the end, each person will be judged according to their works, for God shows no partiality. There's no partiality in salvation and no partiality in judgment. Certain people don't get passes and get saved because of certain ethnic makeups or because of certain religious makeup. And they don't get a pass on judgment for those things either. God is impartial in wrath and in salvation. And it's all based upon His standard. And if we are not seeking Him, but we are self-seeking, we're not obeying the truth. We're obeying unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. There will be, verse 9, tribulation and distress for every human being. Because God shows no partiality. The standard is the standard. And the standard is perfection. Now, I'll use another basketball image here. The goal in basketball, yeah, I've been in it a lot. The goal in basketball is to get the ball in the hoop, okay? In case you don't know basketball very well, and it's not meant to be demeaning, I'm just going with a story here, okay? Goal of basketball is to get the ball in the hoop, the one that has most points wins, okay? Follow this? Yes, I know you do. Simple enough. But there's a way that you play the game that makes the ball going through the hoop count or not count. So, if the ball goes through the hoop, but the way that you got there was to pick up the ball and run with it, the referee will blow the whistle, will call traveling, and say, that basket did not count. Okay? That makes sense. Well, there's also some other rules. You cannot punch players. I know you want to, so let's say you're dribbling, you got that part down, but as a guy gets in your way, you just elbow them, and then you score. What will happen is the referee will again blow the whistle, not for traveling this time, but for some type of personal foul or something. You know, that was probably football, but anyway, it's like, <laughs> it's a problem. You can't do that, so the basket goes away. So, it's not going to be enough. For you to say, when you elbowed the guy in the face, but I was dribbling. I did that right. I was dribbling. And I actually shot it with good form and it went through the hoop. That's enough. And he's like, no, that's not how this works. You can't make some errors and be perfect in other things and expect the end goal to be okay. That's not how it works. And that's where we are if you and I decide to lean on judgment and self-righteousness as our means of getting in. You're going to be judged the last day. You're going to be judged. And it'll be based upon your works. We'll talk about that in a second. But here's what he's saying. If you stand before Jesus on the last day and all you have to show him is your bucket of dirty water meaning I was okay here I was not okay here I did this good and I didn't do this good if that's what you have the standard is perfection on that last day and you will receive the just punishment for your sins which is as the text says wrath and fury and separation from the living God There's not one ounce of delight in saying that whatsoever. Except for it's God's just plan. And in that I delight. But it breaks your heart. You want no one to experience that at all. No one. That's why we proclaim that there is another option. There's another option. On that last day, what's the other option? If all of our deeds are filthy... If, if there's a sense that, yes, we do some good things and that's to be celebrated, but we're not perfect. What's the other option? Is that we trust not in ourselves, but we trust in Jesus. 
We trust in His substitute in our place. All of our sins placed upon His shoulder. He took the just wrath of God upon Him so that if we say, I trust you, Jesus, I am unable to save myself and I need your righteousness to cover me, then when you stand before Jesus with all of your mess, what God will look at in that moment will be the righteousness of His Son. And He will say, I love you, you are welcomed, and all of the mess that might be brought before the eyes, all of the things that you have done wrong will only serve to make you more astounded at the grace of God in that moment when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, you come and you be with me forever. He loves you by faith alone. And all of the mess that we have lived in our lives is only meant to resound to the praise and glory of God that he was so gracious that he would accept us by faith alone in Christ. But you might say, look at the text. That's not what it says. It doesn't say faith. It says he's going to render us to our works. Well, what I just described is what will happen. Because he's already said in Romans chapter 1, the righteous shall live by what? By faith. He will say in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you what? You believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And what happens with a saved heart, the, the healthy roots produce healthy fruit. That's what He's talking about. But He starts with this judgment talk because, or this works talk, because if we're going to choose the path of judgment to judge others, then we too will be Standing alone on our works to be judged. So he says, what's the other option, friends? Rather than self-seeking in verse 8, he holds out verse 7. Those who by patience and well-doing, here's the, I believe, the verb of faith. Seek. Seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. Seek. Seek Him. Look for Him. Run to Him. Trust Him. Here's something that's really crucial to understand. This is not about you having faith in your faith. This Faith is this. It is receiving all that God is for us in Christ Jesus. It is a receiving moment. That's faith. It's not one more thing to do for God. Trust Him. Receive His grace for you. Trust that He alone can satisfy the, the just punishment that our sins deserve. Seek. Seek is a slow thing. Eugene Peterson says this. I found it a helpful phrase. Soul work is slow work. I'll say it again. Soul work is slow work. It's not fast. Seeking the glory and immortality, beauty and majesty of Jesus, it takes time. I know that a lot of us love to binge watch shows. You know, you can pay some extra money sometimes to try to get the commercials alleviated. But if you want to really watch a show, fast forwarding doesn't solve it. The only option to get through the whole thing is to actually watch the 22-minute episodes or the 42-minute episodes, whatever it is, you just got to watch it. You have to watch it all. Sometimes in complex shows, you've got to watch it multiple times and sometimes you discuss it with others, right? So that you can point out different things and it either brings you to laughter or aha moments. Soul work is slow work. You can't speed up a relationship with Jesus. Buried in, these, in this verb of seeking, it is spending time in the Word looking at the glory, majesty, the honor, the eternality of God and trusting His great love for you. And so friends, Peter summarizes this whole thing for us. 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm done. Because we need to end with all these wounds of us being judgmental people, insecure people, arrogant people. 
we need to end in what is the good news, the grace of God for us in Christ Jesus. Peter says this, but if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Remember, this is not our home. Knowing this, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from those that went before you, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. The demand is perfection. Jesus paid it all. He was the only perfect one. The judgment that you want to pronounce on others to protect yourself, to make yourself feel valuable, God took that judgment upon Himself. He placed it upon His Son so that those who deserve judgment might receive grace if they would trust in Him. Don't we read in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Don't we read in Romans 10, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. There's no distinction between Jew or Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call. I'm inviting you to enjoy the riches of the mercy and kindness and beauty of Jesus for you that's there day after day. And that's why he says in Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How do you hide in Christ Jesus? You acknowledge your sin. You confess your self-righteousness. You turn away from this judgmental spirit. You come alongside others. But how do you find that love and grace of Jesus? You trust Him. You trust Him in everything. In everything that you live. Day by day, you trust Him. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that right now you would help us to know your love for us. And I ask that we would believe you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. When the text wounds us like this, I pray that we would do the sufficient heart work to genuinely confess our sins. I pray that what this would do is when we are tempted to judge that your Holy Spirit living inside of all those who trust in you would convict us, okay, that was judgmental. And that we would be humble enough to say, I'm sorry, I just judged you. Father, I just ask that we would, we would acknowledge our sin before you. But that we would not live in our sin. We would live in grace. Because although you convict us, you don't condemn us. There is no condemnation. No eternal judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, we ask that you would uproot our judgmental spirits. We ask that we would not make excuses. But that we would have a confidence to share our shame and our guilt with you and watch you draw near to us. Experientially draw near right now to us, I pray, and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Wash us clean. Restore and refresh. Give us hope where we might feel hopeless. Because when you're on the scene, there's always hope. Right now, I just want to give you about a minute or so just to reflect. What's one thing God has laid upon your heart? One step of faith that you can take into His loving arms. Whether it be repentance or thanksgiving. Might be going to a neighbor that you might need to talk to. Whatever it is. Sit with the Lord.
So Father, may we not try to fix ourselves up. And I pray, oh God, that no one in here who is your child would be tempted to categorize themselves by their failures, but by their adoption. We're children. We're loved. You are Father. And if you are for us, who can be against us? For those in this room that have never trusted in you, I ask that you would grant the gift of repentance. For I do not want anyone to experience your just wrath. Father, I ask that any self-salvation project that is being preserved in this moment, that we would turn from it and we would acknowledge Jesus is our only hope. And I pray that for all of the people who would trust in you, that you would set free and you would restore, you would make glad and you would satisfy us with your steadfast love. So now as we sing, help us to make this our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name.